0: As I told you a little earlier, we uh, have a, have a special guest speaker this morning, and, and actually next week. Uh, Sherman Pemberton was one of my professors in college, um, and he was um, he he taught me a whole lot, changed my thinking a whole lot in terms of missions and how to look at missions. He also uh, was a pastor at La Habra Christian Church, um, and he was just retired recently. And his daughter moved to town. I don't know, maybe a year ago, and. She said, hey, my dad's coming to town. He just retired during Thanksgiving weekend. And I'm like, really? (laughs) So I text him and give him a call to see if he would want to come preach for us. And so would you welcome with me Sherman Pemberton? Thank you, Mike. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm not going to sing it don't worry. There's a lot of theology wrapped up in that little song. It is a song that reminds us that we are individually a light, but we're not much good if we're not joined with a bunch of other lights. The church is God's only other institution. The first institution that God created was the family, and that served well. He had his own people. They built a temple. But he promised us that there was going to be an experience that was going to be in our hearts. And he knew that our families, living as we do in a fallen world, with fallen bodies, would not be enough. We would need an extended family. And that family is the church. Never think of the church as created by humans never think of the church as being powered by humans always remember that the church was created by God for the specific purpose of keeping our natural families together and joining us together in a much larger family today I want to talk about that we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4 and um, I'll try not to break into professorial mode but this is uh, Ephesians is, is um, one of the single most potent letters that Paul wrote because he did not write it to a specific church for a specific purpose. It's, it's labeled Ephesians uh, to, to Ephesus. It was probably written to Laodicea uh, for the purpose of it being passed around to all the other churches. It follows his writing of the, of the, the letter to the Colossians. And it builds on what is in Colossians. Are you asleep yet? Okay. He starts Ephesians by saying, here's what it means to be in Christ. Here's what it means to be out of Christ. In chapter 3, he says, here's how you get in Christ. And that's where he has his treatise on the church. And he ends chapter 3 with probably the most powerful prayer that we have in the New Testament outside of the prayer that our Lord gave us to pray. I'll let you read those on your own. Chapter 4 begins the how-to section. This is how we can manage to be a part of this incredibly powerful, super spiritual experience when we are so weak and so unspiritual by our nature. And so as we look at that, I want you to take a look at that first section in in Ephesians. And I'm going to use math. Now, this may seem strange to those who taught me because math was never my strong suit. The only reason I'm going to use it is because I think there's an image here that we can hang on to. I remember t- when I first had to take algebra, and many of you may have had the fir- the same experience. Uh, we had just come back from, uh, at that time, southern Rhodesia. My father was a missionary. and I was in a brand new school, and uh, they put me into this math class that didn't have any numbers in it it never made any and I I was confused and my my dad who was really good at math my dad said to me just keep working at it one day you'll wake up and you'll be able to speak the language and he was right but when I got to geometry that's when I really had fun I love I love shapes and sizes and things like that and I can picture what's happening there almost thought about becoming an architect So I want us to think of shapes in the church. As Paul writes to us, he says to us that we have a pentagon of power. We have a triangle of strength. And we have a radius of relationships. That's your key for the rest of this, okay? So now you can go to sleep for the rest of the message. All right, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. How do we do that? With all lowliness and gentleness, with longsuffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's our pentagon. Uh, When we think of Pentagon, we typically think of the Pentagon where the (laughs) Department of Defense is housed, or at least a part of the Department of Defense is housed. It's shaped like a Pentagon only because the original plot of land that they were going to build on would not allow any other shape. They had to build it in the shape of a Pentagon. Now, that changed as a result of the war. They They moved to a different place because people were afraid that it was going to block out the view, blah, blah, blah. But the fact is that that Pentagon is where everything takes place in five different sections, and each section is separate unto itself, but connected to all of the other sections, which is a good image for us to keep in our head when we read this list. The first part of the Pentagon is lowliness or humility. And humility is one of those things that we sometimes think of as putting ourselves down. But in fact, humility is something that we, that the opposite of pride, pride causes discord. When we are proud of ourselves, other people shun us. If you think about it, the people that you have trouble getting along with are people who are too proud of something in their particular lives. And so the key for us as individuals, if we want to have a relationship with other people, is to be proud of others before we are proud of ourselves. And if you find yourself saying, I cannot accept Believe what that person is saying. At least allow yourself to accept, respect the fact that they have the right to say it. Accept, believe you have a little circle of friends you all agree, right? Cats are better. No, they're not. I, I, I'm not going to go into the whole cat thing because I almost got fired at La Habra for that. But. We have our own little circle. You know, some people like tea. I'm not sure why, but they do. I like coffee. And I have friends who like coffee. But when somebody comes up with a glass of tea, we don't shut them out. We respect the fact that they don't have the same taste buds that we have. Good ones. (laughs) You might say that humility is sort of the ground zero place, and it's built on by gentleness. This gentleness, it's a great word because the word that that Paul uses in the Greek here actually refers to workhorses and to battle stallions. And when you think of work horses and battle stallions, you don't think of something that's meek. You think of something that works hard, battle stallions run to gunfire. Uh, when I was a little kid, before we went to Zimbabwe, uh, my grandfather had a uh, a plot of land, and at that time he was farming tobacco. And he had an old red mule. I, <clears throat> I come from Kentucky, basically, but my mother's kinfolk are from Chattanooga, Saudi-Daisy, Tennessee. Uh, you know, down there. That's why I say, that's why I say y'all. We're all, you know, when you have a, when you have a cousin named Doodlebug, you know you had to come from Tennessee, Uh, which I do. Uh, And and we would sometimes, I'd go with him in the morning, early in the mornings, and we'd take the red mule down there, and we'd, he'd, he'd let me hold the plow like I knew what I was doing, but when it got close to the end of time, that mule would step on every third plant, And that's when grandpa would say he'd done. Because gentleness is prepared to let people know what their opinions are. But at the same time is prepared to haul the load that needs to be hauled. Uh, Gentleness allows us to be like Jesus said, I am gentle and lowly, humble at heart. Then patience, of course, long-suffering attitudes. You might like this one towards annoying people. So having patience means we put up with people like me. I'm grateful for patience in the church because there are people who actually treat me good. When we learn to have patience, the next one becomes a whole lot easier for us. That's forbearance. He says bearing with each other. That allows us to work together even when we don't always get along in all the different areas. That allows us to work together even though we pull for the Lakers. Oh, did I say something wrong? I pull for underdogs all my life. I'm still with the Lakers. Uh, it allows us to get together, whether we are a different age or whether we have tattoos or we don't have tattoos, or we have piercings or we don't have piercings. We have long hair, we have short hair, we have dark skin, we have light skin. Uh, we eat hot food, we don't eat hot food. It allows us to put up with each other. And having patience sometimes allows us to get past the issues, so that we can have forbearance. They go hand in hand. It's one of the things that Paul says that ministers have to have. We have to have the ability to have patience and forbearance. And all of that comes true with love. That, that's the key to this pentagon of power. And probably in, in Eng, if Paul had been an English writer, he would have started with love. And then gone out from there to the others. But being from the Middle East, he built into love to remind us that all of these aspects cannot happen unless we have a desire to build up each other. Uh, Write this down if you're taking notes. P-Q-T. It's a key to relationships. Prior question of trust. You've probably heard this in different contexts, and different ways. I'm just giving it to you, easy to remember. Prior question of trust is this. Before I say or do anything, I ask the question, is what I'm about to say or do going to build up or tear down trust? Now, if you want to count, you know, people say count to 10. Well, that's about 10. If you think to yourself, is what I'm about to say going to build up or tear down trust? 10. I can speak now. Uh, I had a friend when I first came to California who I'd actually played against in basketball back east. We were in two different colleges. I, and he was one of those people who was extremely quiet and thoughtful. And, and I remember being in a car with him. We did a lot of training together. I was in a car with him and I asked him a question. Then I asked him the question again, and I said, are you ever going to answer the question? And he said, are you ever going to give me time? Prior question of trust. Now, from the pentagon of power, Paul moves us to the triangle, this triangle of strength. He says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all who is above all and through all and in y'all, or you all. Uh, I I say that to emphasize something. When you read the New Testament particularly, and more specifically, Paul's writings, whenever you read the word you, unless he is speaking, Speaking to a specific person or about a specific person, as in Agrippa. Agrippa, I wish that you, along with all that are here, uh, he was speaking to him. But most of the time, when he uses the word you, he's really saying you all. Uh, he's speaking to everyone. In this passage, this little light of mine, I'm going to have it shine for everybody. If I don't have it shine for everybody, I'm not included in the you. Because this you is all of eun's. I can speak Buckeye too. Uh, So this issue of of the three the the key to this is that God is a Trinity and we are a duality, male and female. Now we just sang about the Trinity. There are three persons of the Trinity. There's one Lord. One Father gave us the family. One Lord gave us our faith, our hope, our baptism. And one Spirit creates us as one body. When you think about it, when you damage the church, that means when you damage somebody who is a part of the church, universal part of the church, you damage the Godhead. You are saying to God, your family is terrible. Because I don't like that part of your family. I don't like that denomination of your family. I don't like the way that one sings in your family or chooses songs in your family. Or has this particular theology in your family. So it becomes more than just us in this place here. This is the church. But it is just a part, it's just a bite of what the church does. The church is beyond that particular emotion as well. Because we live in a fallen world, it's hard to do. Uh, when families split up, we grieve for them. And we have a tendency not to refer to them as family anymore. When in fact there is still the issue of of uh, of inher- of, uh genes and so on brothers and sisters fight back and forth and maybe even try to disown each other we cannot disown a denomination from ours we cannot disown a believer a group of believers who practice at a different time in a different way in a different context than we do we are the church we all of us are the church i started to say we are the church and they are the church but you can't really say us and them because that's the context of who the church is if you call yourself by the name of the one god the father and you call yourself by as a follower of the one son and you rely on the spirit, spiritual life of the one spirit then make sure that you live as the church universal remember i said patience is putting up with annoying people And sometimes they annoy you. Surely you understand that sometimes you annoy them too. Okay. Radius of responsibility. We'll wrap this up. Uh, Now, we've got triangle, of course, one of the strongest geometric figures. That's Paul puts those three together for us. We have the Pentagon, have those different rooms. They all lead to the same kind of concept of love. Now we have a radius, and what I'm talking about with the radius, because it's that line that stretches across a circle, is that we're included in this process, and here's what he says. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect person to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Diversity in the body is intentional. We have any jigsaw puzzle people here? At our house, almost every holiday, we have a jigsaw. I hate jigsaws. I really do. They annoy me. Probably, I have a little dyslexia, so, you know, no piece ever fits exactly like it looked like it was going to fit when I picked it up. But I have discovered one thing about people who put jigsaw puzzles together. If there's one or two pieces that are missing, they can't let it go. We have moved couches. We have recovered beds. We have shifted cupboards looking for that one piece. That somehow, and and we blame everybody, including the dog, who we have a hard enough time feeding anyway, but evidently she eats jigsaw puzzle pieces. Because the picture isn't right with that one piece missing. And the church is like a jigsaw puzzle. We all have different shapes. But when we turn ourselves just so with others who are with us, we form the perfect picture of God's church. And when we're not turning ourselves to fit, the picture's not complete. We've ruined the image. Let me use a different, different image before we finish here. And when I was uh, 13, I drove uh, the ambulance for the hospital on the mission station in Zimbabwe. Now, ambulance is a fancy word for, at that time, a 1958 pickup truck, Chevy pickup truck, uh, with a cab on the back. And we were called up one day, it was raining, and the the doctor said, Sherman, get down here, we've gotta go pick up a woman at this village because she's in labor, we just found out, and she needs to get to the hospital. And so I took a couple of orderlies, and the, the truck, and we took off, and it wasn't that far, but we got to the top of a small hill, and we were looking down, there was a field, and there was a, like a pathway through the field, and then the road went all the way around over here. Now, remember how old I am, okay, 13, 14 years old, and I'm looking at this pathway, and I'm thinking, I can get there faster if I use the pathway, and I started to go there, and one of the orderlies turned to me, and he said, the truck won't go through there I said it's wide enough he said yeah, it's wide enough but it's too deep I said what do you mean too deep and before I waited for his answer I took off well what he meant by too deep was that it was muddy and pretty soon we were pretty much up to our axles uh, in the middle of this field the woman is still having the baby, so I send the orderlies over there and I'm trying to think about how to get this truck out <sighs> those of you who are young enough are going to be surprised to know that we didn't have cell phones at that time and so I went over to the another adjoining village where I saw an older man sitting and he had oxen and I walked in Africa there are no walls but you say koko co ko, ko, which means I'm knocking on your door. Koko co ko, ko. and the old man invited me in and he greeted me because you have to go through all the greetings and I'm on one foot and then on the other. And he said, What can I do for you? And I said, I'm stuck. He said, I can see. <laughs> I should have known I was in trouble then. I said, I need to borrow your oxen to pull the truck out. And he said, I would be glad to lend you my oxen. But they have never pulled together before. Now, if we have any farmers here or people whose parents were farmers, you'll know what he was talking about. I didn't. I said, I don't care. I need to get this truck out. And your oxen can pull them out. He said, yes, I think you're right. I said, well, bring the oxen, put the yoke on them, and let's pull them out. He says, these oxen have never been yoked together before, but I finally cajoled him and he brought them over and we tied them to the, tied the rope to the yoke and tied the rope to the front of the truck. And I said, okay, let's go. And he said, no, these oxen have never been yoked together before. If you want them to pull, you make them go. No problem. I whacked the one on the backside. He thought his buddy had done it which irritated him, and so he tries to use his horns, but of course, the yoke won't let him do that, but his buddy says, oh, you think that's funny? i try this, and pretty soon, they had pretty much damaged, completely destroyed the bumper of my truck before I grabbed an axe and cut him loose. And he looked at me, and he said, they've never... <laughs> yeah, you know the rest. And I think sometimes we forget something in the church. We are not yoked to each other. We're yoked to Christ. And if we're not working with Christ, that means with the knowledge of who he is, we're not in study groups, we're learning more about who he is. When we are not spending time in our daily devotions, learning more about what he wants from us. We're not yoked to him. And when hard times come, or when we're called upon to pull for somebody else, we can't do it because we've never been yoked together before. Nowhere is that more important than or more obvious to us than at a time of communion. Communion is not a personal experience. Jesus said, where two or more of you are gathered together, I am with you. Communion is not for the individual. Communion is for communing with each other and with God. This is where we are the church. This is where the issues that we have with each other are put behind us. This is where if we need to sort something out, it needs to get sorted out. It's in the opportunity that we have to take the body and the blood of Jesus with each other, acknowledging that we all believe the same thing because it all comes back to Jesus. And when we come back to that, everything else is small stuff. The book you written a long time ago, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, that's the small stuff. Now, we're going to have a time of communion in just a minute. And as the body and blood is passed, take the cup, take the bread, you have some options. Maybe there's something you'd like to say to the person sitting next to you. Something to encourage them. Maybe something to to let them know that you know you're annoying and you're sorry. Some people doing this. Uh, Maybe there's someone else that's not here and and you, you need to say something to the Lord about that. Give me an opportunity and a time and a place to take care of this issue. Maybe there's somebody back in your past that actually introduced you to Jesus and you've never said to them, thank you. This is your opportunity to do that. And and you can, when, when you receive the cup and the bread, you can take it right then, you can hold on to it or you can turn to somebody else and say, would you take this with me? Let's pray. Father, we we know that we are incapable of the kind of love that can place others before ourselves. That can put our shoulder to the wheel every time there is a need outside of ourselves. That we can appreciate the differences as annoying as sometimes as they are, to accomplish your ministry. But it's because of your love that you have given to us. We experience that now through the great sacrifice that you gave. In Jesus' name, amen.